When I couldn't say I'm sorry to my wife, it was because I wasn't willing to allow God to work in my heart. I wasn't willing to surrender because you know what surrender would mean in that situation? Surrender would mean I'd have to say I'm sorry. Surrender would mean I'd have to say I forgive you. And those words are difficult to say. Sometimes we can say them, but they're difficult to say with meaning unless we're surrendered and willing to allow God to work in us. We want to talk tonight about forgiveness. It's something we see is so desperately needed. An unforgiving spirit is destructive to a marriage. So tonight we want to talk about practical ways to deal with forgiveness. One of the exciting things about having the scriptures that we can go back to those and we can look to find the principles and even real people's experience with the same problems we face today. Have you ever found that? And I find that encouraging. I find that motivating because I see how real people who had the same kind of problems I have found the victory in Jesus Christ. And so when we think of forgiveness, my mind goes back to Peter. One of the beloved disciples of the Lord. A follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loved Jesus. And as he spent time in the presence of Christ, he began to see that the ways of Christ were very different than the way of the rest of the then-known, shall we call it the Christian church, even though that may not have been their title then the rest of the religious organizations, how they conducted themselves. And as Peter spent time with Christ, he began to notice these differences, and he began to be drawn even more to Jesus. And one day he came to his Savior, and he had this question. You could read that question. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 18 and verse 21. He came to Christ and he says, How oft shall shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Good question, right? But Peter, like many of us, he asks the question, but before he gives the Lord an opportunity to answer, he wants to answer the question. Have you ever done that? I have. There's a lot of questions I'll ask my husband, and before I give him a chance to answer, I want to jump in there and answer it. Various reasons, but they're all motivated from a selfish heart. And so this was Peter's experience. And so he asked Jesus the question, and then he says, Till what? What did he say? Till seven times. You mean, if somebody says, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And they do it seven times. Then after that, we have fulfilled our duty. Our religious duty. Our responsibility. After that, we are free. We no longer have to offer forgiveness. Now, Peter thought his answer was quite good. Because in that time, during that era of religion... It was taught by the scribes, the Pharisees, that if you forgave someone three times, that was your duty and responsibility. But after that, you no longer had to offer forgiveness. And he knew God's ways, Christ's ways, were above the standard of the church. But it's interesting that Jesus responded. He didn't put Peter down. He simply told him, and express to him and to us the deeper truth. We can read that in Matthew 18, verse 22. 
Jesus said unto him, Peter, Jesus is saying to us, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until what? Seventy times seven. What's the lesson in there for us? What's the lesson in there for us? I saw two lessons. One, we don't need to keep score. And secondly, we should never weary in forgiving someone when they say, I'm sorry. And it's interesting that when we were first married in our early marriage, we found it very difficult to say, I'm sorry. And we found it very difficult to say, I forgive you. We, like many of you, struggled with, but I'm right. He's wrong. Or whatever the circumstance may be. But this forgiveness that Jesus is teaching is an unconditional forgiveness. Till 70 times 7. Don't keep score. Don't get a little pad out when you're first married and you draw 490 lines on there and then you say, okay, now we're entered into our marriage and you have 490 times and then I've completed, according to the Lord, my responsibility. I mean, wouldn't that start out just, ugh. And you know when you're first married, you think you're so in love that you would never have to even say I'm sorry because I'm always going to just love you and do everything to please you. Right, dear? Right. <laughs> Unless we're in the me focus. Unless we're in the me focus. What we began to recognize is that when we're in the me focus, then it's always about how everything affects me. And if, if my wife is not affecting me properly, then I can't be happy. Right? That's the me focus. In fact, it doesn't just end with my marriage. If you don't deal with me right, I can't be happy about you either. <laughs> the me focus is always how things affect me and how everybody affects me. And if I can get everybody to affect me properly, then I can have a happy life. Right? Isn't that what, you can buy it, can't you? Don't the millionaires have the happiest lives in the world? No. We can't be in the me focus and have happiness. And you know, the Lord began to show us that we need to change to the us focus. It's not how she affects me and how I affect her. It's how I affect us. When I'm thinking about how my comments how my actions, how my reactions affect us. God wants to take us from the me focus, which is absolutely selfish and incorrigible. God wants to take us to the us focus, where we think about how this affects the marriage relation. And then God can do great things in our homes. Amen. Well, I want to share with you a little experience that we went through early in our marriage that had to do with this topic of forgiveness and the struggle that we faced in our home, in my heart particularly, how difficult it is in the littlest of situations that can turn into huge problems. We had, in our early marriage, um, Tom was the director of a radiology program, and so every year he would take his students from Illinois, we lived in the Chicago area, up into Wisconsin for a ski day, kind of a one day of the year recreation that was considered a school day, okay? They got credit, but they all got to go ski. 
Well, before we had children, I would take the day off work and I would go with them and we would have a great time. But you know what happens when the children come along, right? All of a sudden, the focus changes from doing everything together to mother being at home taking care of the infant or the children and father continuing to do the things that he's used to doing through his, in his employment and outside of the home. And so this particular day, they were going to be driving up to Wisconsin, and I was going to be staying home with our firstborn child. And I was happy to do that. I mean, I'm a terrible skier, so I had no desire anyway to go up there and try to downhill ski, you know, with one of these infants in one of these little, you know, backpack things or tummy packs, whatever you call them. I mean, I tried cross-country skiing with her once, and I fell down, and I just about crushed her trying to get up. So I knew it would be a disaster. So I willingly volunteered to stay home, and I was excited. And all day long, I was thinking about who? Come on, you wives. You've been married a few years. You're just in love with your husband, and they're going to go out. And so who do you think about all day when you're at home with nothing to do? Oh, no, with with the children to take care of, right? (laughs) Because sometimes we think we don't have anything to do. That's why I used to think. Now I see that. That was also a misconception. Plenty to do. Privilege to be at home, right? But what do we think about? Who do we think about? Our husband, right? How much fun they're having that you wish you could be with them. And I wonder, wonder if he went down this slope or that slope. So I'm thinking about him all day long. And I'm anticipating the, the evening, the early evening, when he will come back home and he's going to sit with me and he's going to tell me all about his day. That's what I'm looking forward to. My little daughter will be in bed. Everything will be quiet. It'll just be our time together. Well. Sounds wonderful. (laughs) Does, doesn't it? Wish we could rewrite the story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it came that time in the evening when I was expecting that he would come home and looking forward to that. And, you know, he didn't come home. And I thought, well, you know, maybe they decided to to go one more time down the slopes. I could take up to an hour if that many students went back up on the lifts and skied back down. So maybe, it, you know, maybe they decided to do an extra run this year and they're not going to be home as early. So that hour went by and he wasn't home and I started to think of another reason why they might be late. Well, maybe they decided to stop off and get something to eat. Yeah, that would take about an hour, you know, to stop by a place and get something to eat for the 12 of them or however many there were. And that hour went by, and he still wasn't home. Well, you think of all kind of reasons, don't you, why they aren't coming home. Have any of you had that experience? You're just, you're, your mind is so positive, right? You're just looking for all the good reasons why they aren't home. Of course, you haven't heard from them. These are the days before the cell phones, okay? These are the olden days. <laughs> the good old days. The good old days. <laughs> I have to say, I do like cell phones. (laughs) But anyway, he didn't come home. And then we turn from all the positive thinking, and we start down a negative track. All of a sudden, I start thinking all the things that could have happened to him. Maybe somebody got hurt. Maybe it was even him. Oh, and then I found myself getting anxious a little bit. So then I began to do what we should do as Christians, and that is pray, right? 
I began to pray for my husband. But my prayers went something like this. They were kind of just pouring out my heart and my burden to the Lord, but not letting go of it, and certainly not trusting that God had things under his control, but carrying that burden on with me as the evening marched on. Now it's nighttime, and he's still not home. Several hours have gone by, and my anxiety level is increasing. My trust in God is just a formality. It's not a reality in my heart. And I start praying earnestly. Now I am bargaining with God. Have you ever bargained with God? It goes something like this. Dear Lord, please, I really do love him. I know I haven't always been very kind to him, and I, I know that. And we start, you know, confessing our, what was I confessing? All the things I had not been willing to humble myself and tell him I was sorry for. Lord, I promise that if you will bring him back to me, I'll always be good to him because I really love him. And the anxiety grew more because he still wasn't home. And so I begged more in my prayers to the Lord. And I promised him that if he would bring him home, I would be always, wife. <laughs> always kind to him. Well, time went by, and I thought that I would just, you know, I was looking for some way to find relief. So I thought I would call the local police department or sheriff's department and asked if there had been an accident because by this time I was sure that they were in some type of, you know, it's winter. That's when you go skiing, right? This is Illinois and Wisconsin. I mean, they have pretty bad roads in the winter. And I thought maybe they had a terrible accident. So I called them up and uh, they asked me, well, whereabouts would they be? And I said, well, someplace, somewhere between Wisconsin and Illinois. <laughs> and they really weren't very helpful. <laughs> Because, I mean, you call your local police department that deals with your little community, you know? And I think they, they probably had a good chuckle, but it, it, did, it didn't even register with me, you know, that, that it would be a silly thing to do. Anyway, I continued to pray. My anxiety grew. I was nearly in tears, and each time I'd hear a car coming down the alley, I would think, is it him? I'd go to the window. But you know the sound of your own car, don't you? Finally, I heard it. Finally, I heard the car, and I was so excited because I knew it was him, and I ran to the back door, and sure enough, the garage door opener goes up, and I see the car go in, and then in a moment, I see him coming down the steps to the back door. And no I'm, bandages, no crutches. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited to see him. I really was. Ask him, wasn't I, honey? Initially. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, honey, I'm so glad you're home. How come you're late? <laughs> we stopped for pizza. Lots of pizza. <laughs> Four hours worth of pizza? That was my question. Well, you know, I mean, I was expecting like four hours ago. I mean, that's a lot of anxiety I'd been through, right? A lot of confessionals and, and promises. And, and then I asked the question that any, any wife would ask. Right? Remember this. Wives, what did I ask him? <laughs> why, why didn't you call me and tell me you were going to be late? That's the part of the story I'd like to be able to rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of it. That's terrible. You know when That's he... terrible, dear. <laughs> when he said those words... All of this love, 
all of this foxhole confessions. <laughs> everything inside of me turned just like that. You know what I'm talking about, too. I'm sure many of you here. Now, maybe it wasn't over four hours being late or a ski trip, but I'm sure many of you, if not all of us, have experienced, at least to some degree, how much love we have, how much, you know, we just want to be in their presence. They're irresistible, right? And all of a sudden, like that, we have a totally new set of feelings just from one little thought that comes in. And those feelings changed so quickly. And I was what? Hurt is the word, right? That word is a very popular word today. You hurt my feelings. You hurt me. And so everything's related to how you or how he makes me feel. I never stopped to consider that his mind was distracted, that it wasn't because he didn't love and care for me. I had nothing else to do but to dream about him being home all day long, right? He had a lot of other things to do. I wasn't putting myself in his place. I was simply thinking about me and that my feelings were now hurt. And that changed the whole atmosphere of our home. Didn't it, dear? <laughs> and he said, what did you, you tell me? Honey, I'm sorry. Yeah, I really was. He was, but now what are we supposed to do? How could you forgive me after all that? <laughs> you know, we hold on. You know, I, those words, yeah, I knew what God was asking me to do. Even before I understood how God speaks to us, we know what's right, don't we? But I didn't want to be forgiving because I was hurt. And because all of this anxiety and all these prayers and all this that I've been through for the last four hours, from the positive to the negative, bothered me. And so I said, I forgive you. And then I was walked out of the room. Now, is that forgiveness? I mean, we know how to say the right words, right? But we need to experience the heart of the word. And if we do not experience the heart of I forgive you, we will never have a marriage that will survive today. We could cohabitate, but we'll never have a marriage that thrives in love and a respect. A marriage heart to heart. A marriage heart to heart. You know, the difficulty is that how can my wife, here's how self works, and it isn't just in my wife's side, it was in my side too. She's gone through all these thoughts and feelings and emotions all day long. And, and so now I come home, I tell her what I did. It all happens in three to five minutes. And I say, I'm sorry. When the human heart tries to forgive in that situation, humanity is not capable of that. Because her human heart is, is wanting to say, but... But you caused me all this grief and anxiety, and now you want me to just forget about it without getting down on your knees and begging for forgiveness. You understand? That's the human heart. Mm -hmm. It's wicked and deceitful. And it, yes, it happened that way that night, but it's many times in our early marriage experience. I was very hard on my wife. And she would sometimes come to me saying she was sorry, and I would respond like this. Well, what are you sorry for? 
And then she would tell me what she was sorry for. I'm sorry that it didn't turn out very good, dear. And I said, well, that's not what I want you to be sorry for. Okay? That's the human heart. I want you to be sorry for what I want you to be sorry for. And then she would say, well, what do you want me to be sorry for? Well, you ought to know what you ought to be sorry for. You've got a conscience, right? And so she would think about it and think, well, and she'd try to tell me, and I'd say, no, that's not it. The human heart, when it's in the me focus, cannot be appeased, friends. Cannot be appeased. Real forgiveness comes from God. Amen. And real forgiveness has more to do with the condition of my heart in forgiving my wife than it does with how she says she's sorry. Real forgiveness comes from God and real forgiveness actually helps to generate real repentance in the other person. Amen. Jesus said it this way in Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Isn't it interesting? I was trying to get my wife at times to tell me exactly what she needed to be sorry for. She didn't really understand. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you know sometimes the human heart, the selfish me focus, doesn't even understand what we've done to hurt the other person. Real forgiveness comes from God. And real forgiveness will forgive even if the other person never says, I'm sorry. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we, when we do say, I'm sorry, we, we are sorry for how it turned out or the circumstances or the consequences. We don't like where it ended up, right? But that's not really what caused it. And it's, even that, it it's takes... A surrender. It takes the power of God working in us to say, honey, I'm sorry for what I said to you. I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you. I'm sorry for the attitude that I had towards you. I'm sorry for misjudging you. Be very specific. When we give general confessions, you know what happens in our heart? We still leave without peace. And we've done nothing to find that marriage. Each of us individually are responsible before God to do what God is asking us to do in that surrender. Not my husband, but for me. What does God want me to do? I'm sorry, I should not have spoken to you that way, or in that tone of voice, or using those words, or jumping to the conclusion I jumped to. Would you forgive me? Instead of saying, I'm sorry of how it turned out, but you know, if you hadn't said, then I wouldn't have... That's not true repentance, friends. It only comes from God. And I want to just encourage you that any of us here, regardless of the struggle we've had with saying, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, as we are willing to to ask God to do in us what we are incapable of doing ourselves. It only can come from God. If we're willing to ask God to put it in our hearts, to even... Give me the, the power, Lord, to, to look my husband in the eye and say, I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you. And he will do it. It's a step of faith. We have to act in accordance with what we know and what we're asking God to do in us. And as we act in faith in accordance with our prayer, God will empower us to do it. And you know what? We, 
become free in God. And there is no more barrier. There's no more boundaries. There's no more walls between us. There's true unity in the marriage. Amen. And that's what we found. And I can tell you today that we don't go through days or a day of a cold war, of a silence, of a separation. We immediately know what, when God calls to our heart. And as the quicker we surrender, and we are finding the joy of doing that, there's nothing between us. Amen. There's nothing unconfessed. There's nothing hidden there. And that, my friend, is a freedom. And I want you to experience that if you haven't experienced or are not experienced at the present. So tonight, if you find yourself in a position where you have an unforgiving spirit, you know, you can say I forgive you and still have an unforgiving spirit. And an unforgiving spirit leaves us in an unforgivable position. Do you understand that? That's what the Lord's Prayer says. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you have an unforgiving spirit, even if you've said I forgive you, you leave yourself in a position of being unforgivable by your own choice. If you find yourself there tonight, I, I want to encourage you, we want to encourage you that tonight, stop trying to generate forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to generate sorrow for sin. And surrender the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, give me what I cannot give for myself. Do in me what I cannot do for myself. We could tell you scores of stories. We'll share a couple tonight, but of people, real people that we know personally who have experienced the power of God-given forgiveness. Amen. It's miracle power. And that power can work tonight on any person in this room. So what happens to the repeated offender? What, what does Jesus say about the repeated offender? And to be honest with you, I think if, if we'll be honest in our own hearts, we're all repeat offenders, aren't we? We are repeat offenders. And Jesus said in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, He said, if he trespass against thee seven times. How many times? Seven. Seven times. Jesus here is talking about that if somebody just keeps doing it, it's, it's completely, it's happening over and over again. If, <clears throat> if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent. What do you think Jesus said to do? Thou shalt forgive him. Seven times in one day, and we're supposed to forgive? You see, this is why it's so important that we understand forgiveness does not happen from us. It happens from a power outside of us that works in us to will and to do Amen. of God's purposes in our lives. And so, it has to do with the condition of my heart in being willing to forgive first, not in getting the other person to stop doing what they're doing. So then, what does that mean? Do we just go on and we just live with whatever circumstances and the person keeps doing the same thing? Well, I want to share a simple illustration. I had a man call me on the phone. And we began to talk together and he was quite frustrated and exasperated. And he said, I am so tired of my wife holding me in an old mold. She just won't let me out of my past. She keeps holding me in the past. You like being held in the past? No. 
we need to move on. And as he was talking, he was quite passionate about it and was quite convincing in his arguments to me. But you know, when I talk to people on the phone, and, and especially in a counseling situation like this, I am always praying. And the Lord just put it in my heart to ask him a question. And I said, okay, I understand you don't want to be held in the, in the old mold of the past, but I said, are you living the things that your wife is accusing you of in the past? Are you living those in the present right now in your marriage? And there was this awkward silence. And he said, well, yeah, I am. And so we talked for a while, and then his wife got involved in the conversation, and the story came out, and this husband was physically abusing his wife and children. She said, I have forgiven him over and over. She said, I have forgiven him this time again. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this. However many times the Lord said, if, if, he, if he repents, and what are we supposed to do? Forgive. Forgive. She said, but I cannot continue to live in this situation with him physically abusing me and my children. Is there a place for separation? The only kind of separation that I, that I will involve myself in in a counseling situation is a separation for restoration. Okay? If people, and I've dealt with people and they say, we don't, we're going to get separated, you know. And only if those people are willing to be separated for the basis of being restored will I continue to, to go through that process with them. Not, not if they want to use me as a lawyer or use me as a mediator to, to cause a separation or I won't be involved in that. Because our work is to restore. Amen. Not to aid in the breakdown of a home. And so... She said, I love my husband, and I have forgiven my husband, but I will not allow my husband to continue to beat us. And I said, I agree with you. And I supported the separation. And so I continued to counsel with those, those two people as they were separated. And you know, if they were here tonight, you would not know that there had ever been a problem. You know what the husband said to me after their separation, which didn't have to be a long, protracted separation? He said, what my wife did for me was a great blessing for me. He said, I knew my wife loved me in the separation, and I knew that she had forgiven me Amen. for what I had done. But the greatest blessing of this separation was that she would not tolerate the sin while she loved me and forgave me. Do you see the difference? It doesn't mean that we just let the abuse continue on and keep saying, I forgive you. There is a time that we need to draw a line, but that line needs to be drawn, not because we've run out of the end of our human endurance, but because we are looking for the, the solution that God can give us to restore Amen. this marriage. So is there any situation in a marriage that God cannot heal? What do you think? Is there any situation in a marriage that God cannot heal? 
No, I hear a few no's. Does that mean there's a few yeses out there? No. What about adultery? Unfaithfulness. Is that possible that God can heal that? Absolutely. Absolutely, because he, with him, all things are possible. That's what he says. With me, all things are possible. And when we choose to put ourselves in Jesus' hands, as we choose to surrender ourselves to him, he changes our heart. And he will do in us what it is impossible for us to do as weak human beings. I had a lady call me one day on the phone, and she was broken. And my heart, I mean, you could just tell by the tone of her voice, the weeping, the the anguish that she was going through, it was serious. She found out their husband had been unfaithful. She had suspicion, but every time she tried to question him, every time she tried to, you know, ask certain things or find out things or what is this and how come you weren't home at this time and she always got answers that were quite eloquently manufactured and she believed them and then the suspicion would go away and but it kept happening till one day she found out not from him but from someone else talk about devastating She was broken-hearted. She was betrayed. She felt defiled. And she she shared with a few of her close friends, and they said, oh, you, you know, you need to, you've got grounds for divorce. You need to get rid of him. He's no good. He's, He's worse than no good. You deserve better than that. It's not right for him to treat you that. You can never trust that man again. That's what she was told. And in many situations, that is reality. But it doesn't have to be. Amen. In all of the hurt, in all of the pain, she knew in her heart she still loved him. And there was her dilemma. I love him. And he's hurt me. Well, that hurt, not dealt with, that unforgiveness not dealt with, led to immediately to anger, to bitterness, to resentment. And she started to becoming consumed in these feelings, which also are deadly. And she recognized that it was just eating her life away. And she called. She says, what do you think? What, what, what would you do? Pretty, pretty powerful questions. What would I do? What would you do? What do you think? Well, do you love him? Yes, I do. Do you want to divorce him? Well, no, but I don't want to live with him either. I mean, you know what I'm saying. But God can help you. God can change that. And that's, what, that's the encouragement. You know, it was already in her heart to forgive him. But she wasn't getting that encouragement from anyone else. She was only hearing what a rotten guy she got and that he deserved to be dumped. That's what the counsel was. Of course, she's got now biblical justification. But in her heart of hearts, she wanted to make the marriage work. In her heart of hearts, she loved him. In her heart of hearts, she wanted to somehow find that forgiveness that would mend and restore that marriage. Amen. 
That's where she put her energy. It was not a one-time surrender. It was often. She would ask God to take those thoughts away, to take the past away, and she chose. Did you hear that word? She chose to dwell in the present and not let the past be rehearsed. She chose to surrender to God. She chose to ask God to give him, give her his love in her heart for her husband. The 1 Corinthians 13 love that we all know, we can all recite, but very few of us know how to really experience it. Love bears all things. Did you hear that? It does what? It bears all things. Not only does it bear all things, but it believes all things. And she began to find hope that her husband could change, that she could trust him. And that's where she put her energies. Love hopes all things. Her hope was kindled because God was there kindling it in her heart because she said, God, this is too big for me. I can't do it, but I know you can do it in me. Amen. So she had hope. God gave her the endurance that she needed to go through that whole restoring process. And you know, it wasn't years. It was a short time. And she so loved her husband. She gave him, she offered him genuine forgiveness. She would not bring up the past to try to make him feel dirty about it again. She truly reached out and gave him a demonstration of God's love for us. And it broke his heart. It broke his heart. And he was a changed man through her influence. Amen. And that marriage just accelerated. It was better than it had ever been before because she was willing to allow God to change her first. There's no, no situation in a marriage that is too complicated, too long, too long existing, too big, too ugly, too perverse that God cannot heal. That's the good news. Because God love can conquer all of us. And it's our choice. And that was the experience that she had. And you know, it was joyful when we had the opportunity to see them, to see how much he loved and he respected her. And he became a changed man. And how her love and her respect, he was a noble man, an honorable man in her sight. And it was beautiful to see their relationship grow and grow, and grow. So, is there such a thing as self-destructing in a marriage where maybe the wife or the husband goes out and they want to tell their friends all the problems, and my husband is really a mess, and wish I had a husband like your husband. What happens in those situations? Well, there are problems in that, and I was one of those um, ladies who sometimes shared, of course, not real publicly, but with my closer friends, some of my disappointments. But you know those disappointments I experienced were more from a selfish heart than reality? You know, we all have weaknesses, don't we? Don't we? Okay. We all have weaknesses. And you know, sometimes our weak, my weaknesses, it seems so bad, but sometimes when we look at our spouse those weaknesses look pretty big, don't they? And we get focusing on that. And so when we go around sharing our husband's weakness with a girlfriend, you know what it does in our heart? It starts to separate us. It starts to, you know, because it becomes bigger. 
and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon we start responding in accordance with those things we're sharing, and it distances, distances us, doesn't it, dear? Yeah. I want to share something I read that really stepped on my toes. It's found in a little book, Adventist Home. That's a little book written about what it's really like to have a Christian home. And in there, that little book on page 177, it says this, the heart of the wife, it's talking about me right now because I'm the wife. All you wives, listen up. The heart of the wife should be the grave for her husband's faults. Sounds wonderful. Did you hear that? (laughs) Your husband's like that, right? The heart of the wife should be the grave for the faults of her husband. So that means our husbands have faults, right? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So what do you do when you bury something? What do you do when you put it in the grave? You bury it, right? And what do you put in there? Dead things, right? You never bury anything alive. That's our problem. We're trying to stuff stuff down that's never been crucified. It's never been dead. We're trying to bury it alive. You know what happens? It finds an eruption. It all spills out. And I remember when the Lord shared that with me, I had one particular girlfriend, and every time we got together, because I had shared too freely and too, not honestly, really, when I thought back on, you know, sometimes we, Emily is talking about exaggeration. You say something, kind of make it a little bigger, a little worse than what it really was. And when I shared with her, you know, wasn't really honestly representing my husband. I didn't realize how deadly this is. She would say, so how's Tom doing? And I would used to give her all the, he's, and, well, you know that? You know what I mean, right, wives? You fill in the blanks. So I know there, Go I'm ahead, not, you can tell him, honey, if you want to. No, that's all right. <laughs> I, I find no fault in you. Well, I mean, back in the old days, you can tell him the old fault. But I don't remember what oh, they were. <laughs> and that's the truth. That's the truth. And that's, isn't that beautiful? The other day, we were sitting together, excuse me for interrupting you here, this isn't in the notes, but we were sitting together trying to think up some of the bad things we had done to each other. <laughs> what a terrible thing to do, but we really were trying. We were looking for illustrations, <laughs> We were actually. looking for some illustrations, some new, new things. We couldn't think of it, and, and I said, well, we don't want to think too hard on this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if the Lord has healed these things, that's the work of the Lord. That's right. Praise God, real forgiveness brings real healing. Amen. And those things in the past, they're, they're in the past. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Well, after I read this, of course, I felt that conviction, and I recognized that, you know, when I reflected on my conversation with her, I realized that's all she wants to talk about, is how terrible my husband is. And I'm the one who's doing it. Can you believe that? The one I love and honor and cherish and I want to be with for the rest of my life and I'm talking evil of him. Certainly not a Proverbs 31 wife. And so the Lord called to my heart and I asked God to change me. My weakness and my faults were far bigger than his. And... Um, oh, I don't know about that. but That's generous of you say that. <laughs> well, and that's this, when the me focus changes to the us that's focus. That's right. So I remember the first time she came to visit me in my home after I made this commitment before the Lord. And you know where it started? It started first in my mind. I started changing how I thought. Then I hadn't, you know what I mean? That's really where it starts. It's not just what we say to our girlfriends. It starts how 
here in the mind how we think. Whatsoever things are true, lovely, honest, just, of a pure and of a good report, you better think on those things. And you know what? You'll find out you have the best marriage in the world when you put your energies there. Amen. And so, as I share, you know, she came over. It's wonderful being married to you, dear. <laughs> Thank you. Um, when she came over, I was kind of excited because I knew the question was going to come up. And I, I knew it just flowed from me. She said, What's the house, Tom, doing? Great. No, really. I mean, like, <laughs> what about? And she'd say, You know, the Lord has, my husband is so honest before God. This isn't a problem that he has anymore. And, well, well what about, <laughs> well, you know what? That really, I really wasn't fair. What I said about him and that, and really, I, 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 there's nothing I can complain about. I really love him, and I respect him for the man he's becoming. Well, what about, and I had nothing to say but positive. And you know what? That bothered her. And that saddened my heart because I realized that our friendship was based off of something that was going to destroy us, not that was going to destroy us, not that something that was going to help us in our Christian experience. And I started making a commitment that I would only speak positive of my husband. And the Lord challenged me this as a mother to my children as well. You know, sometimes we can have a way of saying things about father in front of the children. But why? Uphold him, respect him, give him honor and respect. And let our heart be truly the grave for those weaknesses. And you know what? We will see the good and we will see the lovely. And when we see a weakness, we will not condemn. We will help to nurture and restore. Amen. So that is the ideal. There's a sacred circle made by each home that should be unbroken. And, and what Elaine was just sharing helps to keep that circle unbroken. But Amen. I want to take this one step farther. Is there ever a time that we need to get help? Let me say godly counsel. Is there ever a place for that? There is. And I want to share with you a very vivid and graphic example. We were at a family camp like this, and a young man approached me, and he was very wrought up, and he said, I find myself in a very difficult position. He said, I believe that my wife and I need counsel. We need help. But he said, I know about the sacred circle, and, and I don't want to break that sacred circle. I don't want to, you know talk about our personal life, and he said, I just don't know what to do. And so I said to him, I appreciate and respect what you're saying and wanting to guard that sacred circle, and it needs to be guarded. But I said, I'll leave one thought with you, and you can pray about it, talk to your wife. That is, if you are destroying that circle from within, if you have come to the place in your marriage that you cannot... You cannot communicate and you're destroying that sacred circle from within. It's better for you to get godly, principled counsel than to self-destruct your marriage. Amen. 
He said, thank you. I'll, I'll pray about that. I'll talk to my wife. He came back to me a couple of hours later. We set up an appointment, and he and his wife met with Elaine and I together. Within 15 minutes of our conversation, the wife, in tears, sobbing, laid out her planned suicide before her husband. That's shocking. And I'm telling you, it was a planned suicide, and it was... This was not something to get somebody's attention. Let me ask you, friends, would that have broken the sacred circle of that marriage? Forever. Forever. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a very vivid example, a very graphic example, but there is a place, there is a time when godly counsel is needed to keep that sacred circle intact. Amen. That young family today if you were to see that family, you would never have a clue that there was ever a problem in their home. Not that they don't face the same difficulties that we all face in day to day, but their love is rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and their family circle is intact today by the grace of God. But I would suggest to you just a word of caution, when we talk about godly principled counsel, we don't mean that you just go to anybody and spill your story, because there are plenty of ears that are willing to hear that have no more interest than curiosity. Okay, so prayerfully seek that person that God would lead you to. You know, there are many pastors that are willing to do counseling with their church members, but even that, we, we had one family. One couple called me and they were broken hearted. They said, we went to our pastor. We shared our story in what we thought was confidence. By the next weekend, almost everyone in the church knew our story. So, if you need counseling, go with God and make sure that you have God's blessing upon who you approach for that kind of counseling. We just want to really encourage you to experience godly forgive, forgiveness Amen. and godly repentance. Because when you do, when we do, we find that our marriage only grows better. It gets happier. It gets uh, closer. I, I don't even know. Sometimes I tell my husband, I don't know how to express the love I feel. It's, it's a feeling that comes from what? Principle. The principle is there. But as we cooperate with the Lord in true love and respect in our home, we find that we have those positive corresponding feelings. And sometimes it's, it's not even expressible. I said, go to him. I don't even know how to express how I feel about you. You do a great job, dear. <laughs> but forgiveness is a key to having that happiness in your home. And when we don't, when we're stubborn, and we're not going to say I'm sorry, when we're stubborn not to forgive, we are going to destroy ourselves because that will automatically bring a spirit of bitterness, and animosity, resentment, depression comes from an unforgiving heart. So let's let God free us from this 
And let's experience the joy, the peace. You know, when you're feeling agitated towards your spouse over something little, because it's almost always over something little, right? That's how it starts. If we will humble ourselves at that point and say, honey, I'm sorry that, you know, I messed up or I didn't do what you wanted me to do or that I spoke too hastily or whatever it is, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? As soon as I do that, that freedom, that joy is there. Why wait? Why go through hours and maybe for some days of misery? Amen. Why not have the peace and the freedom that passes all understanding that God wants to give us? You want to have a marriage that's heart to heart? Amen. That's what God wants to do. Amen. God is a, a transforming God. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He can take any difficulty we face and he has a solution for us. Drew, I know you're out there somewhere. Here he is. Drew is going to close. Closes with prayer tonight. And as he's coming forward, if there is anyone here that's struggling with an unforgiving spirit, pray by faith that God will give you that forgiveness and he will give it to you. Amen. Let's kneel together. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, Lord, tonight we've received inspiration and information. Thank you for it, Father. Father, we want to go beyond the information because we're all going to have opportunities either tonight or sometime in the near future, to exercise forgiveness. And it is then, Father, that we're going to need your Spirit to remind us of the things we've heard tonight. I pray, Father, that you would be faithful to do that. And I pray, Father, that as you do that, that we would be faithful to respond, Amen. not only for ourselves, Father, but because how much easier it would be for our children to learn how to forgive as they watch us forgiving each other than for them to have to start when they're older. Amen. I pray that for their sakes that we would grab a hold of these principles, dear Father, and by your Spirit and in your strength that we would find a consistent victory in knowing how to be sorry and how to forgive. I thank you, dear Lord, for it, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.